I got to move it back a little bit. I got there a good go. peak. I got a good peak going on there, right? Yeah, love it. I'm 53. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. Fucking 53. I still got the peak. What are you? What are we talking? All right, all right guys, we are live. We are live. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, we're live. Okay, yeah, here we go. Live. Fucking. What do you? What do I have to say? We're fucking live. How many times do I have to say we're live? <laughs> fucking live. I'm a little rusty, man. I've been away. <laughs> if everybody look, Aruba, man, Aruba in the house. Yeah, Aruba, um, Aruba, and he's got COVID nineteen, but he's in his own room, so I don't care. Well, I got tested uh, twenty times within a week, uh, so I'm clean. I'm ready to go. I'm clean as a whistle. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm with my co-host here, my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? I love that introduction. I love to be introduced as the very handsome Bill Cannon. The very handsome so, Bill. And we have to lose my looks, then I'll have to you know, give this shit up. Uh, you're good. You got a couple more years in you. Uh, we got a young stud on the show with us, a very handsome guy. He's got blue <laughs> eyes. I didn't even notice that in the picture at first. Uh, he's coming by, uh, coming to us by way of uh, Manitoba, Canada. Oh, His name is Adam Kanakin. Um, he is the manager director of, I hope I'm saying it right, Islet Summit Inc. And he's the founder of Islet International. It's called the International Enforcement Training uh, Summit. He also has a very uh, podcast. It's rated number one. It's called Tactical Breakdown Podcast. And it's basically for instructors and trainers in law enforcement, military, and emergency response. He's got six years in uh, the Canadian forces. And he joins us tonight to talk to us about his training program. What's up, Adam? How are you? Boys, thank you so much for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Adam, that's a hell of a fucking beard you have, man. Holy shit. You've been hey, listen, if we're going to start you're... getting frisky already, I don't know how an hour is going to go. Are you, are, are you hunting bear up in the North Country or what? <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always something to hunt up. Hunting season just opened. What are you hunting now up there? Usually usually deer or elk. Depends. Elk. Yeah. That... How big are the elk up in uh, Manitoba? What's that? How big are the elk up in Manitoba? They're fairly large. We have, we have a lot of people that come up to Canada from the U.S. to hunt. A lot. So do you have to get the, the one elk for the season to feed your family through the winter? Yeah, usually. I mean, usually it lasts me the winter. Yeah. Sometimes but you don't have to get it. Like, if you don't get the elk, it's not like the, Kin the Kanakin family's not eating for the winter, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Usually it ends up getting piecemealed out to 14 different people. But now with co now I'll just be like, sorry, man, the elk had COVID. I couldn't give it to you. <laughs> Are you a fisherman too? You're doing some ice. I do. Fishing? I do. Man, I love the outdoors. Um, I there's a reason why I joined the infantry. You know, I I love the outdoors. I love being outside. I love camping. Doesn't matter if it's winter, summer. I'll go camp if it's minus forty out or whatever, raining. I don't care. How old are you? Thirty-two. Oh, oh man, you're, you're a youngster. Holy you're, shit! You're, I, didn't was, with, uh... I didn't know he was this young. Yeah, he's a baby. He's you a know baby. Something? Adam, you know how old I'm going to be December 14th of this year? 96. Well, come on. Be, a re be reasonable. <laughs> You'll never get invited back if you take that posture. Oh, well, I thought you said it was fair game, man. I thought you said it was fair game. I didn't know you were so sensitive about I'm it. I'm not sensitive. Bill is uh, Bill's, uh, approaching 60, right? 64 I'm going to be. Oh, really? Fuck yeah. man, I don't even know if I—I I don't know how long I could do the show with you. I got. You're, gonna, you're right. There's not that many years left. Looking we for a, a big replacement. 
I'm gonna have to start recruiting some replacements. Yeah, but then you'll never get anyone like me. You know, you get some young. Yeah, no, I, listen, we gotta get somebody to fill the seat, though. You know, when I'm fifty-three, they, I'm 53. They, I constantly have to keep moving the uh, the camera back to get all my hair in. <laughs> you know what they say? You know, like the years were, you know, they weren't highway driving. You know, there was a lot of stops, starts, and bumps in there. You know? Yeah, like Bill. Bill tells it. Uh, he goes, "I'm not for everybody." <laughs> who is though right adam so uh adam let's let's uh so you're in canada right now and um you you spent six years in the military what year did you get on what, what year did you decide did you come, go on right after high school uh i got out of university oh so, so you did four years you went to high school you did four years in college i then- did i did three years in university and um i basically ended up transitioning into the military. Um, and then the plan was to finish the degree uh, in the forces. Cause obviously, so uh, in Canada, um, I don't know what it's like in the U S but for officers, you have to have a degree, a post-secondary degree in order to uh, keep your commission. Um, you need to so, as an officer. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. What so, is that? What rank is that? Is that Lieutenant? Second well, lieutenant? You start, yeah, you start off at, at, um, we, we say, so here's a fun fact. We say Lieutenant, right? That's the, the uh, Commonwealth way of saying it, not Lieutenant. Uh-huh. Um, so second Lieutenant, um, and then you work your way up. I was, um, I was pretty much there left Lieutenant area. Um, when I ended up, I ended up fracturing my back in, uh, in training. So that was kind of the start of my, my way out. Um, so would you fall out of the second tier of the bunk bed? <laughs> yeah, yeah no i wish i wish we were you know i know i don't think i've actually even told this story to, to people on air before but um we were doing platoon attacks and the the air the training area we were set up in had um had heavy heavy rain two weeks prior and uh-huh. then armored decided to run their training exercise through it and then everything dried out and so when we were doing these platoon attacks, we ended up having to run over and through all these massive track ruts. Um, and so what happened was at the time I was uh, carrying a C9, so a, a, a saw or a, a, a 223 or a 556 machine gun, um, but I had all the ammo in my ruck. Um, and so I'm running and I trip and right into the tank rut, the, 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 I would have been okay for the most part but my hip stayed on one side of the rut. My shoulders hit the other. And then the hundred pounds on my back went down, down where the hole was. And it just happened to just want to go through my body. Oh, um, so that was, uh, yeah, I had to get, uh, get medevaced out and uh, couldn't feel my legs for a few days. Thought that was, that was it. And uh, ended up doing some, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of physio, a lot of stuff like that for a couple of years and got it back. But other than a, a, some mild nerve pain, I'm, uh, I'm pretty much good to go. I love the way Canadians say out. Out. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question. When, you have a different way. When, uh, when you joined the Canadian military, yeah, it's a little bit different than joining like the American military. And, and in that, what I'm saying is that if you join the military in America, there's a good chance you might go to war. Yes. If you join the military in Canada, are you really expected to go to war? Or are you just like doing it like, ah, you know, we're going to practice whatever. I mean, Canada is like, doesn't really get involved in wars. 
Well, <laughs> we probably beg to differ, but okay. Wait, wait, let me ask you a Canadians question. in wait, Afghanistan. How many countries are, do, has Canadian troops right now in them right now? Um, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, Canada. Canada has the number one <laughs> Canadian troops in it right now. Oh yeah, and we don't have that many. Um, you have here's a fun here's a fun fact. You have more special operations or special forces trained soldiers in the United States than we have members of our military. All right. Well, that's good in a way. I'm not putting it down, but I'm just saying if you join the military, you know, my son, he's in a, a nursing program right now, and I was like, why don't you? just go into the military because you go in it as an officer, you got your, uh, your undergrad degree and you come out and they pay for your, for your, uh, graduate education. Yeah. If you want to be a, a, a nurse or a dentist, whatever the fuck you want from that point on, they'll pay for it. You're just obligated to serve like maybe uh, two years and go after that, you have to go back every year for a certain amount of years, but it, at the end you'll get a pension and you know, you serve in your country. Uh, but the only problem there is you're sending your son off to uh, the possibility that he might go to a place where they're actually fighting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say that out of the guys that I went through basic and then common army phase, phase training and infantry officer phase training, um, I would say probably 70 or 80% of them ended up going to Afghanistan. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, so there was, there was quite a, my buddy, like we're like, for example, we're in a lot of other places, right? So my, one of my closest friends just got back from the deployment in the Ukraine, um, where they do a lot of like, um, psyops and simic type work, um, and a lot of government work. So we do, we do a lot of things. We just do things a little bit differently. Right. I think I, I you know, you ask how many countries we're in, I think we're maybe in 20, 30. Oh, okay. Um, I'm but Listen, we, we do, but sometimes that's a posting of one or two people. Or maybe it's an officer that's advising, um, you know, a foreign military power or something. You so guys, are you guys in Newark, New Jersey? I probably, we probably got somebody stashed in there somewhere. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, Adam, Adam, I'm just fucking around, Adam. Um, oh, dude, it's all I good. No, I have no idea. I just know that the sentiment is, you know, that uh, America is always involved in wars in Canada is not you know canada is a more uh uh they're just not involved in wars the way we are they don't skirmishes they're yeah, not agonizing the, fucking with other countries the standing thing is that we're we're peacekeepers right that's the that's the active term that we like to use is peacekeepers uh -huh. um but that's changed also right the the war in the middle east changed that for a lot of countries right a lot of commonwealth countries you know Britain, Australia, um, they have those those special ops teams. They've done a lot of work in a lot of places, um, just like our our we have with um, with the guys at the hill up here, our JTF team um, and Seesaw. They do a lot of work overseas still, right? They're still out there kicking indoors. So it's 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 interesting for sure. I mean, don't like you guys have the largest military power in the world. Right? Yeah, you say that again. So you guys have the largest military power in the world. Um, but it is, you know, here's the thing though. It's, it's interesting. And I don't, I don't ever talk politics on my show. Um, but it was, it was super interesting to me just from a, a world standpoint. Um, the, those peace deals that Trump was able to get signed in the middle East. I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. I thought that was really cool. Well, um, I, I never heard of that. Where did you hear that? 
That so here's so here's a fun fact. I don't listen to U.S. news media. Uh, I'm being sarcastic because the fact is that even though those peace deals did get signed, and even though you're uh, somebody who's aware of it in another country over here, it's not something that's talked about a lot. Like it just they would not give him the um, they wouldn't put talk about it in the press. They wouldn't talk about you know what a major accomplishment it was. It's just you had to go looking for that kind of stuff over here. Right. Any victory that Trump had was downplayed by the media or not talked about it at all, which is probably the biggest corruption there is in the media is reporting through omission, just simply not reporting on things that you don't agree with. You know, you know, it's it's funny. There's a lot of I I mean, I'm talking all the guys that I talk to are usually in the U.S. mostly every day. Um, And. There's so much stuff going on with your election and I don't, I don't pick side. I don't care one side or the other. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. I'm up here. I don't have to worry about it. Um, but it's interesting because I tell them every time I say, the issue is the fact that your news media and social media are so skewed. And when you have other countries like Australia saying that they have to actively regulate what's going on with social media so that they can't interfere in their election, like they've interfered in your election, Right. That tells you something, you know, when I go to get my news sources, I don't watch Canadian news because it is just as biased, not as much, but it's still biased. But American news is, is I don't even know why people would watch it. It's kind of like watching a, uh, you know, like a fucking reality TV, right? Where it's like, you think it's real, but really it's scripted. Um, yeah, it's, it's make believe. And, and so what I, when I go get my news, I, I watch Australian news. I watch British news channels because what they tend to do and they're, I mean, they have bias as well, but what they usually tend to do is say, here's what the right side is. One side is saying, here's what the other side is saying. Here's what yeah. our reporters on the ground are reporting as facts. Here's all of the information, make up your own mind. And yeah. that's the kind of news I prefer. I like to make up my own mind, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but that's something that's not happening right now. And uh, man, you guys are, you guys are getting hit hard. Did you watch yeah, we, any of the interviews with uh, Zuckerberg and with the CEO of Twitter? Uh, by Jack Dorsey? Congress? Yeah. It, it was outrageous. The, they just lied right to the con- congressman. And what's his name? <laughs> Zuckerberg. I would pay money to slap the shit out of Zuckerberg. <laughs> I would. something going on there where uh, they bring him there, they make him testify, but there's no outcome to it. Um, so it makes me question, like, because there's always that law they talk about, that 360 or something like that. Right. But they never, they never actually do it. Well, are you a publisher or are you a whatever? I think forget the well, question the, they were asking. Well, the, the, the idea is that they would open them. Uh, once you remove that law, they would be open to lawsuits. So you seem like it would be a given. Like we keep um, threatening them. With, we keep threatening, threatening them the the big tech with with these uh with that idea that they're going to be open to losses but they never do it they never keep going with it so there has to be something there that if they did that would open up another can of worms on the other end that we can't well, it's because of corruption they got billions and they're paying one side money to not regulate them they need to be regulated they really do and i never yeah, thought I've- i would ever say that but they need to be regulated. Or or you need to catch up and create your own news outlets. From what I heard, and we heard this too, Bill, early on, um, we heard that the, the Trumps were creating a network. 
Yes. And we, we kind of sort of minimized or somebody minimized the information because I was listening to that guy. Uh, uh, I don't even know. He's the Indian guy, Delusa, Delosa, whatever the fuck his name is. But he was talking about an interview that uh, Trump asked him, what should I do after this? And he said, you should start a network. And I'm not talking about a network like I'm talking about NBC, something where you're actually creating original programming. You actually have a news network. And I think that's what's going to happen. And let me tell you something right now. You could you could have these next four years. Who the fuck wants them anyway? Because the first eight months of that that year is going to be dealing with COVID. Then you're going to have to reconstruct the, uh, the economy. And the whole time you're going to be having Trump developing his fucking network on the side and critiquing every single move that you make. And then he's going to announce that he's going to run again in two years. So you're <laughs> fucked. You fucked. You should have just let him have the fucking eight years. Who wants to deal with this fucking Corona? Who wants to deal with building the economy back up? Just fucking let him ride it out. Let him deal with this problem. They were stupid. It, it's going to backfire. It, you make you make some good logical points. Right? I do. That's incredible because I smoke pot all day. You make you make a good point in that it's it's a catch twenty two regardless of what happened. So it you know it. It's interesting to me. You, you, you guys had mentioned the like, news media. Um, I was surprised to see how Fox News shot themselves in the foot so fast and then let it kind of bleed out. Um, that's going to be an interesting to see how that turns out. They just created parlor. They created Fox News created parlor. If you look at the amount of people, the record number of people that have fled right now and joined up parlor, um, and Paul has got to do its end and, and, and become what, what it possibly could be. But um, Fox News fucked themselves. It was so stupid what they did. They should have, ne- first of all, they should have never announced that Arizona is winning. It was too early to call, but they're just such fucking pricks. And then they were so cl- uh, quick to jump off uh, the Trump bandwagon, but they don't realize one thing it's just that all these people were created. By Trump. I mean, these fucking networks were dying. Twitter was on its fucking last leg. They were looking to sell it. And then all of a sudden, this guy starts using Twitter as his platform. It fucking reinvented it. Yep. You know what I'm saying? When he's gone, it's all fucking gone. Who gives a shit what the fuck Joe Biden has to say? Or Kamala? You think they're going to be every day? <laughs> it's not going to be a news cycle what you're used to right now. You're used to looking at your fucking news cycle and it changes every five, 10 minutes. It's not going to happen like that. And the news reporters won't have to wear helmets into the news conferences. So when Trump calls them fake news, and <laughs> right? Well, well, good luck. You know what? It's going to be funny because the only news that's going to be interesting to watch is when he's sitting at home and they go to him and they want to know what he thinks about this particular thing. And of course, he's going to shit on it. Of course, he's going to shit on it. He's going to make you look like an idiot. Like he said, Joe, hey, hey, he said, Joe, China ate your lunch. That's going to happen every day. Every well, day. What's scary is that Biden's talking about rejoining the Iranian nuclear deal. Didn't we just get out of that abortion? Now he wants to go back into it with uh, John Kerry, the bouffant hairdo of Heinz Ketchup billionaire wife. And hey, he let me tell you something. They want. They want what the Democrats really want is the fucking uh, Republicans to win the, the Senate, those two Senate seats in Georgia, because they don't then they don't have to deal with the progressives. Every time anything goes through the fucking thing, it's going to they're going to 
it's going to be blocked. Any progressive view that's coming out is going to be blocked. They're, they're scared to death of having to cater to these progressive views. I have a, I have a question for you guys. Um, do you think that this election cycle has shown enough to possibly move you guys out of a two-party system? No. No. I think it's just too, it's too powerful. We need, I think it made it seem like we need a one-party system. <laughs> we need a king. So that guy over there, need, what, what is your guy? Your guy's like a king over there, right? Yeah, he's a dumbass. He's but he's the prime minister. He's not a – like, it's so, not right? – So, yeah, our government works a little bit differently. Um, usually – I mean, we have three three main parties. There's four federal main we – so we have provincial parties and federal parties. Um, and so the federal parties are usually the liberals, conservatives – um, and then we have the NDP, which is the new democratic party. And then the Bloc Quebecois, which are only in Quebec. Um, those are the four largest federal parties. And usually it bounces back and forth between conservatives and liberals, but the majority of our governments get formed as minority governments, which means when they actually sit in parliament, they need to work with another party in order to get enough votes to get anything passed, which is really the best way in a, in a democracy. Here's the difference though. We, ha we have a democracy. You guys are actually a republic. And and I think that's what people don't understand. It's funny how many Americans I speak with that don't understand how your actual system is built um, and don't understand the actual polit the, the policies behind the way the politics are done. Um, and, and that's fun for me because I get to sit there and I'm like, okay, yeah, absolutely. I, I really do think, though, that you guys are at a, at a very interesting place in history. Um, you speak with you speak with historians from around the world and there are certain key factors that they're picking up on that's happening in the U S right now. That is, is a precursors to major political shifts. Um, and so I just hope that the doomsday scenario doesn't play out that everybody I speak with, because I mean, we're in the law enforcement field. So everybody I talk to is like, I'm ready for the war. Let's, let's get after it. Yeah. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. Like that's at the end of the day, that's kind of going to be worst case scenario for everybody. But well, well, um, you know, Adam, when you see that, um, I guess Biden got what 73 million votes. Yeah. Trump got 71 million. That's almost split right down the middle. And a lot what was what was crazy in New York one of the things that we saw was that they boarded up all the stores in anticipation of Trump winning. But guess what? Biden won so there was no violence. But had Trump won all of these violent fringe groups would have been out there tearing up the city, you know? And that's disturbing because I think that you'd have to be an idiot not to think that the Democratic Party somehow supported this violence and somehow backed it up, you know? When they deny that Antifa even exists, you know, I have a problem with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. You guys will find out in what uh, everything gets certified by the 16th, right? December 16th. And then you guys actually have inauguration on January 20th. See, as a Canadian, I know more about your freaking the way your elections work more than most of your. Yeah, citizens. because it's like a freaking soap opera. Let yeah, me it, is. It, it is. It's, it's, it's really better than, than anything yeah. on TV right now. The Democratic Party would probably be better off if whatever investigation, because that lady, Sidney Powell, she's a beast. The one who's uh, running this show and she's she's talking about how in Venezuela and China, I think it might be Germany, too. They use the same exact system 
that they used over here in America that uh, the Dominion voting machines. Yeah. And how, you know, if you could show a pattern that in all three elections, shit shut down at 1230 at night. And that's when all the extra votes came in, which is exactly what they did in this country. Then. But now here's the point. Do you do that? Does all that come to fruition um, prior? Do you concede at some point at the very, very end and let this fucking thing play out in the courts until you're two years into your presidency when Kamala Harris is already in charge and gaining steam and then you realize uh, in courts that the whole fucking thing has to be overturned? What are you going to do then? Because it it might not play out right now, but it might play out for the 2024 election. And um, like I said, you they handed you a bag of shit. Good luck. What, what is it in the democratic fucking uh, economic plan that gives you any type of enthusiasm that makes you think you could pull yourself out of the COVID uh, recession? Yeah. I, don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. So right there, you're gonna be fucked economically. If you think you're gonna tax um, anybody who makes over four hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> people are going to go to those states where they don't pay the fucking tax. That's yeah, why you know, so the, they don't mean that. What they mean when they say that is they want to tax the hell out of the middle class. That's what they mean because the middle class is the biggest population. So when they say they want to tax people making over four hundred, they're full of shit. They want to tax John Q. Mailman, John Q. Cop, John Q. Q. Fireman. John Q school teacher. That's where the money is. Well, that's where that fucking thing with the college comes in because, you know, like as a dad right now with, uh, with my son, who's in nursing school, like it would be great if he could get 50,000 taken off of a 120,000 fucking dollar program that he's in. You know what I'm saying? But the reality is I'm going to wind up paying for that because that money is just a way to separate, like give money to academics and fuck the, the, the blue collar people. That's all that is. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the training. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I thought anyways, that was. Anyways, enough show. about. Yeah. For other things than talking about United States politics, you know? Let's talk about the training. How did you get involved with the training? Well, I've always been an instructor. Like, I mean, my. My background, I, I did martial arts my whole life. I've, you know, I like to fight competitively, semi-competitively. What kind of martial arts? Um, what what uh, was your first? Uh, jiu-jitsu, Mark, if you would have read his bio, he would said jiu-jitsu. Oh, the first black belt you got it was in jiu-jitsu? Uh, first, first martial art I studied was actually uh, called Sunpa. It was a, a hybrid art based in the Philippines culture, based off of Sikaran. I used to um, do Kali. Yep, yep. And I used to do Kali because I used to do uh, Jeet Kune Do. Oh, yes. And I liked Kali a lot. Kali was, uh, Kali was, I, I liked the, the whole, the stick fighting. Yep. It's a great art. They're all great arts. Sticks, sticks are fun. I love sticks. I got, I get, I, I literally have them two feet away from me. Um, yeah, yeah. I used to have a stick by me too all the time. I got, I just have them just, 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 just to keep, just get used to keeping them in my hands. Like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, if we're talking about you having a stick in your hand all the time, I think that's a completely different interview. (laughs) (laughs) That's a poll, buddy. That's a poll. So, yeah, I I started with that. um, And then I got got my defensive tax instructor certification 
uh, right before I got into the military. Um, and I was training mostly security officers at the time. And then I did the military stuff. And then when I was with the forces, I ended up being a training officer for my regiment. Um, and so I got to build and develop these training plans for our regiment, um, and got to really dive into the training development side of things, which was cool. Uh, and then I went and did some CBRN training, got to run gas huts and, and that kind of training as well. And so I really just had a passion for it. And then when I left, I ended up starting a training company where I specialized in, in doing more of the academic training uh, in the security field in Canada, because uh, we, have, we have different licensing requirements province to province. Uh, so I did that. And then I got back into defensive tactics training. I joined up with the guys at Ailita. Um, and I've really just been in, in the training business ever since I left the military. And then last year, I started the podcast, the tactical breakdown podcast. And it was really just, I wanted to give the student, I wanted to give that officer a look into what it's like to sit at a, after a class when the doors are closed and the instructors are just talking. I wanted to give them access to that where we sit down and we say, all right, what, what went good in this training? What went bad? What we could, what could we do better? What's coming next? those types of conversations, because that's where all the context happens, right? It, we never give the student how we actually came up with the reason why we're teaching you what we're teaching you. And so right. that was the basis of it. And um, I'm lucky and, and everything that's happened with the podcast, with the summits and everything, that's not because of me. That's because I'm lucky enough to be connected with some of the best instructors in the world. And let me ask you a question here. What's that? Let me ask you a question. You're sure. watching the riots that were happening here in America. Yep. You're a training guy. Yeah. What do we do wrong? <laughs> Dude, I don't do public order. Um, I have a guy, I have a few guys for that, actually. Actually, I um, I was just speaking with uh, an expert out of New York. Um, I won't say his name on here because um, I don't want to just throw him under the bus, but he, we're going to be talking about putting an actual uh, training package together for use of force for uh, public order units. Um, based off of everything that's happened because of the riots. So here's here's what I'll tell you. I shy away from giving my opinions on training. And the reason why is I'm not the expert. If you were to ask me a question about something that I know intimately, I would I would probably give you my opinion on it. But when it's something that there's other people that know a lot more than I do, I usually, and this is what we do with our, our whole thing, is I say, listen, man, if you have a question about that, I know the exact person that you need to talk to. And I'll send you to the Bill Lewinsky's. I'll send you to the Eric Daigles. I'll send you to, you know, whoever it is and say, here's the expert. You need to talk to them. And I think that's the problem in training right now is that we have all these trainers that think that they know everything or that they're like, I know enough to give my opinion on this or to train people in this, but they don't ever go outside the box and get additional information. Adam, you know something? Let me just stop you for a second. I'll tell you what the NYP did did wrong during those riots. They did nothing wrong. What they what they had what they did wrong was they had to listen to these politicians that ordered them to stand down. The NYPD can take a riot, could end the riot in a half hour anywhere, and they have the training to do that. But if you cut their balls off and don't let them do what they were trained to do, they stand there like the Chicago police being pelted with fireworks. And that's a problem of leadership and po- politicians well, ordering the police not to do their job. I was I was training about, isn't gonna isn't gonna prevent that. I wasn't specifically talking about New York. I, as a whole, 
uh, I would say New York handled it very well because we had, I think right after the George Floyd thing, we had uh, two nights where it was completely out of control. They were uh, riding in the streets here and just breaking into a liquor store, whatever they wanted. And they, they were told to stand down by the asshole. Well, but, but my point is this, in here in America, um, you have other states where it's continued to go on. Over here, we went back. We went back. You know, we had two, three days of crazy shit. Maybe something pops up here and there. But you got Seattle. You got Portland. Um, these places, it, it's every single night now for month for months. Mm -hmm. So, and they're coming from other states. So, I mean, you know, either you want them there because you're not doing anything. Look at Florida. Well, I don't even know if it's Florida, which stated what, uh, maybe it was, if you commit a crime and you, you're crossing state lines to do it, I think it was Florida that it's, it's, a, it's a mandatory sentence or something like that. Florida's been very, very progressive as far oh, as- They have uh, Ron DeSantis, who's a Republican. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing so, the marvelous- a state thing. run by the Democrats, they had, they had, you know, a an axe to grind. They wanted the riots to go on. I firmly believe that. You know, when when you when yeah, you mentioned Antifa to Biden, he said, "Oh, it's only a concept." Oh, really? It's a, a concept. concept that did billions of dollars worth of damage in cities. The kind of concept you're talking about. Yeah. Well, the concept okay. of pallets of bricks being delivered to a riot center. A concept of people arriving in buses that were all identified as Antifa, you know? And that that cost money to do that, you know? A concept that they were all dressed the same, a concept that they were armed with mace, you know? And other weapons, oh, th that just happened. There was no training, there was no organization. No, it was just a concept. Well, this is the world that we're living in right now. We have a situation where we're questioning our election over here. There's even the uh, anybody would have to say, okay, if I'm looking at a list of dead people that voted, um, all right, that might be a problem, but we're talking, how many could there be? And then we hear this thing about um, the Dominion and this, uh, okay. So we're living in a world right now where we won't even look at that. Like, it doesn't matter. We're willing to give up our election process over here just for an outcome and you know at that point right now how bad do you want to win you know i mean it's like you're fucking up the whole thing right now just to uh to go back to your point about what the issue was i think that one of the biggest issues is that people are conf are, are conflicting the two ideas that the police are the government and the government are the police and that's not the case. And I, I think I think that's one of the biggest issues, right? Is and and the leadership. The leadership component is also. I mean, it how it's it's difficult to be a frontline officer when you know that no matter what you do, you're fucked because well, when they come, if from you do something, if you do something good, or if even if you do something good, right, the media is going to be against you. And if you do something bad, you know your chief doesn't have your back. Or if you do something good, the chief doesn't have your back. So that's that's that that's. Uh, um, that comes from the fact that people are coming from out of state. Okay, when you don't 
when you're uh, in, involved in a community and you're policing them and they're protesting and rioting, that's one thing. They know who you are. You're out there every single day. They don't know that you're cop of the month when they come from another state. And they're moving these people around, constantly moving them around. So they, if they get arrested here, they, they got a break over there. You know, they just move them around. And uh, that's, that's the problem. They don't care how good of a cop you are in your community. It doesn't matter. You represent the government right now. You represent, uh, it's just, you're just a pawn in the whole fucking thing of it. It has really nothing to do with you. Well, you know, Adam, when I saw, and I'm sure you saw this too, when I saw the Chicago police being pelted with fireworks, rockets being fired at them, and they weren't allowed to respond to that, I was like, why are they even there? Yep. Are they there to be the target of these protesters for the government? I really questioned that. Like, what's the point even having them there? If they're not allowed to respond to the rioters, and, and you've also seen certain uh, mayors and certain governors have taken the tools away from the police, for example, tear gas, rubber bullets, you know, uh, things to get large uh, riots under control. They've taken those helicopters that they're not allowed to use them. And the, in New York City, they never used mounted in any of these riots. Mounted is very, you know, it's very that's effective. What they do. That's what they, that's their job. There's a, our, our RCMP have a fantastic um, program for mounted police, public order stuff. It's awesome. I mean, you guys have it. You're one of you're one of the few places that that does have like full mounted units, which is really cool. Yeah, you guys have a crazy thing, like in the movie The Untouchables, when you were coming over the bridge. <laughs> this man, this ain't a movie for fuck's sake. We do, you know, we have we do live. We that, do was, that, that was them, though. That was the Royal Royal Canadian, Canadian mounted, mounted police. police, and they were coming over the bridge and they were stopping. Um, what the fuck is the guy's name? Uh, not Al Capone. He was was Al Capone there? No, you're talking about Sean Connery played that cop in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all sitting there waiting for the for the booze to come through. <laughs> like that really <laughs> happened, right? They were, we were wasting the whole FBI on one shipment of booze coming from Canada. For sure. You no, know, Adam. One of the things I just wanted to talk about, and I'm sure you you've been trained with this. And there's a big unit or a big move uh, in policing all over the world in regards to de-escalation of force. Yeah. And one of the things that you, I mean, you have, and I think all cops should be trained in it, is jujitsu. Because when you get someone under control using jujitsu, it doesn't look as bad as if you're hitting someone. And you can get someone under control because they can feel the... You want to comment about that? No, please go ahead. I'll let you finish your... No, no, no. Before. You're the expert. I just think that cops should be trained in jujitsu. Yeah, well, first of all, I am in no way, shape, or form an expert when it comes to jujitsu. But in the context of what you're speaking, the there is definite benefits to understanding how to control somebody else's body with your body. Right. There's, I mean, that's, you know, the. I, it's funny. I did a I did a podcast with uh, with one of my close buddies up here, Chris Butler, who's one of the top use of force experts that I know in North America. Um, and we ended up you know, the new policy up from that came out in New York. Um, we ended up talking about the, the diaphragm law. With, yeah, the, without yeah, no no pressure on a prone uh, right. suspect. It's, um, it's funny. It's I when we saw it, like when I saw it the first time, I said this. Ha I thought that was an actual hoax video. 
I thought it was like somebody did a spoof video. Like you can't do this anymore. You can't do this anymore. And then it was like, no, this is a real video. I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Right. Like it's, it's almost like people don't understand how these situations play out. So if I have a very, very combative person and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to control them, one of the easiest ways for me to do that is to put my body weight onto their body when they're prone out. Of course. Can we have the discussion about not putting a, a knee or a, a, a smaller object onto a vital part of the body? Absolutely, we can have that conversation. No problem. But if I'm putting my weight onto somebody's diaphragm, not, not necessarily in the diaphragm, on their rib cage, anywhere up top, you know, we understand positional asphyxiation. That, that, that documentation has been out for a long time. I know that if I'm fighting somebody who's completely gassed, already is having a hard time breathing and I'm having a hard time breathing, there is a risk that if I'm trying to control them on the ground, that I'm not holding enough of my weight off of them and I'm actually going to restrict their breathing, but not to the point where it's going to kill them. Right. right? So we understand the science behind it. The problem is, is that you have policymakers that make knee jerk decisions because they say we can't do this because it looks bad. They, what they don't see is now an officer has a combative subject, they get them down. What happens? Here's a, here's a scenario. What if the officer tackled that person and they're down on the ground and now they can't put body weight on them, but the guy's got a gun tucked into his crotch. And now all of a sudden he has the ability to pull the gun out and and fire or, or what happens when the officer's working by himself? He can't control that person. He gets sucker punched or something because he wasn't able to get rid of that or to resolve the situation quickly enough. Or heaven forbid, he says, I can't deal with this person on my own. And he goes to escalate force. And then all of a sudden, one thing leads to another and he ends up shooting the person when simply lying on the guy would have solved it from the get-go. Right. Well, but nobody you know, has the these discussions. also is the press always likes to say the officer shot an unarmed man. But when someone fights the police, they have the potential to get armed by taking the officer's weapon. You you saw the video that came out where the guy was obviously charging the officer with a knife. Yeah. And they were like, you know, police officers shoot, you know, mentally ill, whatever it was. Not police officer shot a dude who was running at him and was going to stab him in the throat with a knife. Yeah. Right. Well, that, just, that, that just kills your whole argument because... Um, you can't look at that and, and as a reasonable person, knowing what law enforcement's job is, um, and, and argue that. But the fact that they're willing to riot over that means it doesn't matter. It does not matter. If you take any type of police action, even if nobody was hurt, but the person got arrested, um, it's proven. Like um, the NYPD was, showed up with a van. Somebody jumped out, grabbed somebody, threw them in the van. And they were like, oh, they didn't identify themselves. They don't have to. Who the fuck do they have to identify themselves? The civilians in the street? It was a clean arrest. They I got think somebody who was wanted. referring to was the warrant unit had a, um, a picture of someone they were looking for who was wanted for several crimes. And they took the guy off the street. And, you know. In seconds. Yeah, in an arrest that was totally by the book. And the actual executed of New York City objected to how they did their job why because it was perfectly executed because the yeah. person didn't have a right to um 
to argue their arrest. It, 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 what they want to do right now is they want to put you in a situation where every single time you're going to make an arrest, you have a right to argue your arrest in the street. It's not the way it works. According yeah. to the law, your your chance to argument your, argue your case is in court. Um, if 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 like for example, if you said that person robbed me. And then they put a gun to my face and they took my stuff. And then we went and based off of your statement, we crawled up on this guy. We saw him there. Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. We go out, we grab him in another police van, throw him in in cuffs. We're going to bring him back to the precinct. Nobody got hurt. It was a surprise attack. What they want is they want you to stop in the middle of the street and say, hey, listen, we have somebody that says that you arrested them. And create a scenario where we can get a group of people out and we can negotiate the terms of your arrest. The Yeah, the problem is, is they're confusing the enforcement arm with the judiciary. Yeah. Right? That's the issue. People seem to think, it's like, that's not how this wor system works, right? Now, As yet. an officer, I'm here because I have reasonable grounds to believe you did something, so I'm going to detain you, and now we're going to go through the process of you proving through a judiciary, judiciary, I can't speak. Judiciary, judiciary, <laughs> that you didn't do what we think you did, and if you can prove it, then you're good. See you later. I'm and if you can't, you go to jail. It's I'm, this is what police work is going to be right here. You're going to come up to me and you're going to tell me you got robbed by Bill, and I'm going to say, okay, sign this statement, and then I'm going to go up to Bill and I'm going to be like, Bill, uh, Adam says that you robbed him. Here is your statement. Um, you have to appear in court on a, on this date, and that's what's gonna that's what's gonna be it. Well, There's not gonna be any more arrests. Well, it'll be safer for everybody then. That's fine. Well, you know, Adam, <laughs> I just read something where uh, a whole bunch of professors from John Jay, under the direction of uh, Jeremy Travis, who used to be the president of John Jay College. They all got together with their peanut brains, all these PhDs, and came up with this plan how you could reduce violence in neighborhoods without the police. Without the police. And part of it was paying people to do nothing. That was one of their suggestions. You know, Another what I one was investing in youth, which I agree with. That's a good thing, right? And of course, alcoholism, domestic violence. But basically what it was, it's the liberal left-wing thing of just pour money into the neighborhoods you know you know what my favorite you know my favorite thing that i've seen come out of this on that topic exactly was i was watching a video and it was a compilation and it was like first person was like we the these communities don't want police there you're you know you're oppressing them all this kind of stuff and then it'll flip to somebody from the community and be like we want more police yeah like we want more police and it's like they don't want anybody like they don't want any and it's like rich politician versus actually somebody from the community right. right and it's and it's the dichotomy between the two but it's like people aren't to be fair and to to be devil's advocate on my own point we also make that mistake in policing where i don't think we do enough to actually interact with the community and speak with the community about their personal in their in your in your precinct in your jurisdiction you need to be like very close with your community because that's the community you serve right right um and so the, the problem is, is that people want these wholesale changes of here's here's the implicit bias training that you have to take. And here's the de-escalation training that you have to take. And here's the rubber stamp that means that you're going to be a good officer from here on out. 
a good officer in New York isn't going to be a good officer in Akron, Ohio, isn't going to be a good officer in Miami, Florida, because the communities are all completely different. Right. And so, so you're basically saying there's no national, you can't have a, you uh, can't, you can't have a national standard for that. That's ridiculous. All right. That's interesting. Hey, let me ask you a question because uh, I, I always disagree with people on this. Uh, Oregon decided that they were going to legalize drugs. And I was like a hundred percent for it. And I'll tell you why. And they're legalizing everything, heroin, meth, you want, because here's the thing. If you're a drug addict somewhere and your only problem is that you keep getting arrested for drugs, why wouldn't you move to Oregon? Do you know how many drug addicts? <laughs> you're, so your, your argument you're is that you're drugs. glad that they did it so and that. Listen to me. The United States is formed on one purpose, that every state can have their own rules. Right. And then we form under this union. So if you want to be the state that is completely legal to drugs, then here are our drug addicts. Go, go, just go there, go. You know that Michael Bloomberg, when he was mayor, he had this program where if you were homeless, he would buy you a one-way ticket to anywhere in the country. <laughs> no, well, the idea- the, yeah, fly them. You want to go to Hawaii? Sure, here's a ticket, but you can't well, come back. <laughs> Well, the idea, the idea in that is that you, uh, for example, this is my problem with the shelter system and the shelter system, because I worked in warrants, uh, I saw the flaw in it and that you can't get a steady bed. Okay. If you're going through a hard time right now, whatever, it's like that movie with Will Smith with his son, you know, every day you got to go stand on the line somewhere to get a bed. And I was like, if you're going through a hard time right now, you're going through a divorce, you just can't afford your first apartment. Because a lot of these people, these guys that are in the shelters, I had this one guy with his tools, man. He was like, yo, I got to take my tools with me. I'm like, you can't. You're going back to court. And he was like, nah, because they're going to steal the tools. So I held his fucking tools with him. He's just going through a divorce. He could, He's paying for his kids in school. They go to private school. He couldn't afford the fucking, to get his own apartment yet. He's just trying to get on his feet. It's not the end of the world. The fact that there's some people that need a fucking a, a little bit of a handout. We don't have to keep them moving around. And, and, and that's the problem with the system. They want to tell you something nice, but they won't fucking set up a way where you can have a place to lay your head. God forbid you're on hard times. Yeah. Well, look at what's happening in in uh, California. I mean, I see you see pictures of what's happening in L.A. with like the homeless encampments. Yeah, I I don't know how how that's going to play out, but that's just, it's rough, right? It, it's, it's such a hard conversation to have, right? Cause it's like where there's so many different things that it's like, to, to your point, people just want to throw money at it. They say, if we just in, if we just throw a bunch of money at this community, they'll be fine. But it's like, it's, the old, it's it goes back to the old adage, right? If you give a man a fish, uh, right? That the whole thing. It's the exact same thing. I can give him a shit ton of money, but guess what's going to happen next year? You have to do it again. What's going to happen next year? I have to do it again. Yeah. That's why I'm so pro Oregon because if you give a man some meth, <laughs> he'll get the fuck out of New York. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I understand. They, not only that, but they should give it away. Why should they meet these people like have to find it or look for it or steal from somebody? Just give it to them. And it's great that you have a whole fucking state that is willing to take that on. 
And I would be willing if if my tax, my federal tax dollars went to making sure that all the drug addicts stayed in Oregon, I would do that. And and don't forget, they're defunding all their police, so we don't have to worry. The cops, they don't need police. Cops there don't have to worry about it. If it's just drug addicts and you give them the drugs, what do you need police for? There you go. Because they're all going to rob thing. each other and kill each other. After no, they- but the whole thing with the drugs is that they have to find a way to get it. And usually if they don't have the money, they're going to steal. So if you just eliminate that and you give them the drugs and you just have one place where all the drug addicts can live in harmony, let them fucking go there. There, there are, There is an economical case to be made from like an economics perspective that legalizing drugs actually benefits the communities. Um, but that's a very long conversation that we don't have time for. Uh, you know, Adam, I think one of the things when you were talking about uh, California, one of the big problems is where does the rights of a homeowner begin and end as to when someone just pitches a tent on their property or right outside their property and lives basically rent-free on the sidewalk you know, defecating, urinating on the sidewalk, robbing each other. Where is the rights of the homeowner, the taxpayer? Where does that start? And how does government address that when they allow this apparent behavior? It's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. I hope that's a rhetorical question because I do not have an answer for no, it. No, I was asking you. Like, <laughs> well, it is a rhetorical question, but my thing is, is that that's not okay, you know, because it, I, what I sort of learned through my police career was that Homelessness was not a problem of lack of housing. The problem was alcoholism, drug abuse, right? And, and crime, you know, and, and, and not having a home was, and also mental illness. Not having a home was the last thing because they would provide housing for people. But all of those problems are, are what makes someone Hey, man, all I know is my Oregon fucking idea is sounding better and better. That's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. Bullshit. That's Every horrible. Single, listen, even, I, I don't even want to go through a 10 plan landwipe. Listen, if you're convicted of anything that has to do with drugs, you'll get a fucking ticket to go to fucking Oregon, and you can go there and they have... Listen, all your federal dollars goes to fucking Oregon. <laughs> and housing these people, and why... If you wanted to just live a life where you did drugs all day. You could just go there and live there and you have a fucking bed and you can get your drugs. And that's what all the drug addicts would be. How does that, how does that Adam, not- What do you think about that? This is, this is an interesting conversation. <laughs> They're all, listen. It's, it's like, it's a kind of like what, it's like kind of like what the Commonwealth did with Australia. Yeah, exactly. Right? And what look, how, look how Australia turned out. They're pretty awesome. You're right. They took all the fucking the drug addicts, the degenerates, the rapists, and they send them, they ship them off all over there. And what do they do? They create a community, a country, and they thrived. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I Listen, I, I, I just don't think we could, you know, you're pissing in the wind if you think you're going to get rid of drug addicts. And if you just give them the drugs, they won't have to steal. But why not make it convenient for them where not every state is is emboldened to these fucking people if they get convicted for drugs you say listen my friend i think you have a drug problem we're going to send you to oregon 
and you're gonna go there and you're gonna live with all your friends and you'll be able to get fucked up and drunk and, and high all day. And then one day, if you decide to quit, you could come back into modern society. I think they already tried that in Europe and it was a huge failure. Yeah. They, really? They yeah. did? It doesn't yeah. It doesn't go very well. I mean, well, there, I, are, there are definitely certain schedules of, of drugs that you could you could legalize. I mean, obviously, the hot button topic still, for some reason, is, is marijuana, right? That's been legal up here for a while. Um, it's it's interesting. It's it's an interesting conversation, man. I don't I don't know what to tell you. I well, think you know, even with marijuana, it's like I don't care if people use marijuana. I really don't care. And I don't, I think it should be you know legalized. But where does it, how about when they use it driving an automobile? You know, uh, is that okay? Isn't that driving an automobile impaired or intoxicated? That's yeah. bullshit, man. Because what are you doing? Are you how how many? You're in the left lane. You're fucking driving really slow. You're not bothering nobody. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it is true. So it, that, we've had a lot of conversations I've had with, you know, obviously my friends up here um, because it, it is, it's interesting when they, when they do an intox and it's for marijuana, um, it's, it's a lot different, right? Um, yeah. It's not like you pull the drunk out of the car and they're fighting with you. It's like, oh man. Can I bring my potato really? chips with me? Yeah, really? Oh, okay. I used to, I used to work it's, with drunk it's, driving. It's a completely different argument. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's usually because they're going like way slower than they should be going. Yeah, they're oh, they're over cautious. They they put their blinker on. They're waiting for six cars to go by. They yeah. see a light vaguely at the end of the. Uh, yeah. It's a, they're like, I'm waiting for a green light, dude. You're at a stop sign. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> When I um, let me ask you something. Is there a a defund the police? Oh yeah. In oh, Canada? Yeah. yeah. Lots. Lots. Yeah. Every every major city. Yeah. Wow. In fact, um, you know, in, in Calgary, I was just reading, um, they wanted to fund by I think it was like 40%. Um what do they think is gonna happen if they do that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, listen, Matt, here's here's the thing. We I don't know what's going to happen. I'm concerned that this, so, so here's what's, it's kind of like what's happening with the election in your place in, in the U S right now, right? You're going to get what you want. Essentially the public usually gets what they want. If the loudest voice says we want this, usually that's what's going to happen, right? That's what history tells us. Right. What history also tells us is usually when it's a bad idea, there's a very sudden and very harsh move back across the line that overcorrects. Right. Yeah. Right? Well, the, yeah. You have to kind of sort of give people what they want. If they want, if they really want to fund the police, you have to sit back and go, okay, now in two years from now, you're going to be like, what the fuck did we do? It's not even two years. If you go to, um, I, I, I think it's Minneapolis right now. They're bugging the fuck out. They don't know what to do. The crime is fucking crazy. They're trying to get the state police to help them because uh, they signed this freaking stupid uh, thing about the fund. And they're all going to come back. It's just a, you, you got to let it run its course. If you're stupid enough to do that, you got to pay the fucking piper. I think liberals should get reverse woke training. What do you think? I had an interesting conversation today um, with a close friend of mine. She, she works for a company. They, they sell um simulators 
won't name names on, on your podcast, but they, um, they're awesome. I, I work with them all the time. And we had the conversation that there was a, I can't remember what state it was, but uh, a news reporter asked to, to go through this de-escalation training that the, the agency was putting on. So they had one of these simulators in their department. The, the uh, news reporter came in and actually they put her through a cycle of, of the, they put her through a couple simulations. And I guess she said that it was the most real, like emotional, visceral experience that she's ever had. And the, and this is, she works for a major, major news network and the article hasn't come out yet, but hopefully when it comes out, it says, you know, this is something that every politician should be doing, right? Like if you're a politician and you're on a board or a committee or a, uh, something that says that we're going to be deciding whether or not the, we defund this department, those people should have to go and go through some use of force or de-escalation simulator training and just experience it. Right. And, and don't even put them in like the worst stuff. Just give them something middle of the road, right? There was- well, um, The New York City Council, when they passed the um, diaphragm law, they consulted with no one. All of these young morons, uh, you know, leftists, uh, they just decided that that's what they wanted. Yep. And they voted on it. And then the mayor, who's equally as bad in New York City, signed it. And now- from what we hear, they regret the day they did that because what it did led to was cops uh, in, a, in action on lots of things because they're afraid to get arrested for doing their job. You know. Yeah, well, oh, go ahead. You got to give people what they want. If that's what they want, they're going to vote against it, and it's going to come, like you said, Adam, at at, at immediately. You know, they're going to get a taste of it, and they'll be like, "This is not working at all." So. Um, you know, we have a mayoral election that's coming up and Bill is always uh, mentioning how none of the candidate, the conservative candidates look appealing. And uh, it's probably going to be another crazy guy. I said, listen, that's not always the case, man. You, you'd be surprised. They'll, they'll latch on to somebody. And, uh, you know, we had the opportunity right now, like in New York, it's so funny how like when you look at the uh, the totals of the election ballot. Right. And you, you see the fucking we had these uh, these processions, 15 mile long of, of cars with with these uh, Trump and the American flag and the blue uh, thin blue line flag. And then you look at the results of the election and it's like, where the fuck is this coming from? Like, you know, I know New York City has a lot of people in it, but um, I also know a lot of people in New York City that quietly they were trump supporters so this whole election is like i'm questioning it like i'm like how is that fucking possible you know what i'm saying great question i think you're gonna find out on january 20th yeah i mean or before i don't know but it's uh yeah i don't know man either way either it's it's listen it's gonna be a struggle to get back to a, a situation where we could have an election here that's trustworthy we you know, it's funny that people talk about election fraud. And up until now, there was never really like, uh, you know, the, the American election was something that you couldn't fuck with. Other countries envied it. And now we're just in the shit with them because of this Dominion thing. Well, it's, it's inter what's interesting. I think the most interesting thing from my perspective is 
just the just how like the Democrats, you know, they say one thing and then they they act completely differently. Mm-hmm. Um, to I mean, no, I'm not picking one side or the other, but essentially, you know, you go back to uh, Bush v. Gore, right? And they were like, we'll just wait for the, uh, you know, they let the Democrats go through and, and Gordon did all his challenges legally. And, you know, it ended up being what it was. Uh-huh. But now that the shoe's on the other foot, they're like, this is ridiculous. Why won't you just concede? Why won't you do anything? And it's like, do you not remember just like 20 mm-hmm. some years ago that you did the exact same thing? Like, well, one, one of the big problems is because the media is 90% against Trump. Yeah. So is big tech. And they're the most powerful entities right now. You know, every every story that we get here, it always starts off on the news, uh, president elect, and that's actually wrong. Like he wasn't. If it's, yeah, it hasn't been certified yet. So it's uh, you know, it always starts off like that. It's almost like a brainwashing technique, so people get comfortable with it, and it's like, all right, let's just move on. Well, they had a press conference today with Giuliani and his legal team, and CNN wouldn't even cover it. Good. Good for them. No, but I'm just saying, how is that as a news Is that where you're going anyway? They're not, they wouldn't even cover it. All right. Well, just go. And I, I guarantee you, as this thing goes further and further, it will get less coverage and less coverage. And it's going to wind up hurting. It hurts everybody in the long run um, because... You know, everybody's going to want to just get back to a place where we can believe or have some trust in what we're watching. And we create a situation where you, you know, people believe two different things because there's no one place where you can go for a reliable source. Uh, Like you have in Canada, you mentioned, you know. Well, we don't. I wouldn't say we have reliable sources, but we, you know, it it is a little bit different up here. Um, I would say one thing that would have helped and to, to play devil's advocate on, on what's happened down there. I think the approach that the Republicans took was a little too far one-sided. I think if they would have come out and said, listen, here's the deal. We know there's discrepancies. We have a legal challenge that we can use because of our constitution that says we want to challenge these, the votes in these certain areas because of this reason. And if at the end of all of this, and you guys are transparent, and it ends up that Biden has more votes, then we will, of course, concede the election to him, but we just want it open for everybody to see. If they would have taken that approach, uh-huh. I think it would have maybe, maybe, maybe not, but it, it would have it would have put him in a better light rather than saying it's fraud, it's fraud, it's fraud, it's fraud. Because that's just, it's like, a, it's just like on repeat and it's really not doing any good, right? Well, so, that's just my that's just my outside opinion, but I know there's a problem is also when the media tries to call the election. Yeah, yeah, but that's not right either. You know. Yeah, well, they're all trying to be the first one to project. They're all trying to be the network with the experts that can say, okay, this little place over here has a history of voting ninety percent Republican, so we can already give it to them. And this place over here as a, as a Democrat, so they're already giving certain areas um, when they're doing their projections. And, th- you know, that's a problem. But at the end of the day, you know what? Um, if you, Like I mentioned earlier, if, uh, if the election does stand over here, um, you know, and this thing drags its way through court, 
Do you really want a presidency where in the middle of it, right in the middle of your second year, they deem that there was a lot of fraud. We're going to have to change it for the next one. And who's paying attention to what's going on now that Kamala is running when all she has to do is answer questions about Dominion and all these things. Are we going to use it again for this coming election for two years? You got to answer the same questions, even though the machines are corrupt. Are you going to use them again? Are you going to change the, you know, like that's going to be a question that's going to have to be answered two years into because they already start thinking about a re-election the day they get hired. Like they have a party that night and the next day they're already working on their re-elections. Every single politician. That's all they do. They don't worry about doing anything while they're in office. It's just about how do we get re-elected. Well, I think what the Republicans were most concerned with was these, um, you know, these write-in votes, these mail-in votes. And there's rightfully no, so. No, there's no way to vet that. You know, no, I, they, they come in with, uh, with truckloads of fucking shit. You know, conveniently, how many votes do we need? And that's, that's the next uh, van that's showing up with those approximate votes that we need. Not only to, uh, it's, yeah, it's a big fucking scam. But uh, that being said, man, uh, so what are you working on now, Adam? Oh, Jesus. Um, lots. I, I mean, I like to say that I always have like 97 irons in the fire, uh, but it really is a case. Um, we just ran yesterday. We ran the National Emergency Responder Conference. It was a, a one-day event for free um, for all first responders, and it was all about mental health and resiliency. Um, so that one was awesome. Um, it's actually still available. It will be to the end of the month. Um, I'll, uh, I'll shoot you guys the information if you, you know, you can pass to whoever. Are you um, doing most of your training now via Zoom? Or you... I don't, yeah, well, we do lots of different things. Um, Zoom, Zoom works. I use a different program called StreamYard. Usually if I'm going to, if I'm, cause it's more of a broadcast. Yeah. I've, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I use Vimeo a lot. Vimeo live actually, if you actually have the pro version is, is pretty cool too. Um, and so, yeah, we, we do a lot of stuff virtually. We're, I just had a conversation today with a attack team up here in Canada. Uh, we're going to do a tactical conference next year and I'm actually going to fly down and we're going to do, we're going to have the instructors all come in and we're going to record them in person and then put that online. Um, so there's going to be a leaning now towards more of a hybrid model, I think, um, which is, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, but yeah, we do, we, right now everything's online. Um, the next biggest thing that I've coming up, which is I, one thing that I'm super passionate about is I'm running a summit called the international summit on counter sex trafficking. So it's a, it's a full summit. It's completely international and it's only the, it's all sex trafficking. So, um, we have experts in the U S we have experts from the FBI, DEA, U S marshals. We have some AUSAs. We have a lot of guys that work undercover, a lot of former, uh, dev guru or, um, tier one guys that worked counter overseas um, that are now with NGOs. Um, we have like the RCMP, we have Interpol. Interpol, I spoke with last week, they're gonna support this 100%. Um, and so we have all these international uh, instructors coming in. It's gonna be a two day event. Um, it's gonna be completely free for every officer in the world. So you're gonna get instruction from the best trainers in the world on counter sex trafficking, and it's gonna be free for officers and agencies. So the idea is, is going to be to take the officer from how does the investigation even start? Where do you, where, when, when we talk sex trafficking, where does that start? Does it start with a tip? Does it start seeing something online? Is it a traffic stop? Is it whatever, right? 
do officers that make traffic stops even know what human trafficking looks like? Right? Um, is there no, a I mean, this is a tremendously interesting topic. And yeah. it's a huge problem all over the world. And this is great that you're teaching uh, line officers how to possibly spot it in areas where they wouldn't suspect it would exist. Well, that's that's one of the one of the guys that is like the busiest is he's an FBI agent out of Ohio and they have massive amounts of sex trafficking. And a lot of the problem is everybody thinks sex trafficking happens at the borders, right? It's not like it's not. It's what gets the most news, but it happens every it's prevalent everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's let me ask you, Adam, in Ohio, where is most of the sex trafficking? What countries are they coming from? From most, well, okay, listen, uh, full disclosure, not a sex trafficking expert, right? Um, a lot of trafficking of, so the, the victims in the U.S. are from the U.S. Yeah, like, uh, like the, was, the very, very large percentage. Okay. Irma was talking about the, like, uh, the gangs. They're not involved in drug dealing anymore. They're more involved in sex trafficking, the bloods and the crips and all that stuff. And that's where this comes in because Ohio is kind of probably like in the middle of all that where they got a lot of bloods and instead of, uh, well, I don't want to implicate the bloods, but let's just say <laughs> different gangs um, and they're uh, and they're involved with, instead of drug dealing, now they're involved with getting girls, uh, you know, to have sex with, with guys, you know, and that's sex trafficking and, you know, we'll move them around. It's it's definitely very closely related. I have a, I have a, uh, a special aid supervisor, special agent who's with the DEA in Arizona, who's going to be speaking um, because the drug trafficking trade and the sex trafficking trade are interlinked, right? Especially everything coming up over the border from Mexico. Um, I'm lucky that I have with my military connections, they put me in touch and I actually have um, one of the directors for Mexican intelligence who's going to come on. Um, and talk about sex trafficking from the, the Mexican law enforcement perspective. Mm -hmm. um, we have people from the Caribbean all over the place. But again, the idea is, and it goes back to my whole training philosophy, is that you have to get outside of your bubble, right? People, there's other experts, there's people that do this everywhere else in the world. You know, maybe there's something, maybe if you're in Miami and you're so used to dealing with trafficking in one certain way, now somebody comes in from somewhere else in the country or a different country and says, yeah, we've had that happen at our, with us. Here's how we handle it. And they go, I never even thought of that. And right. it's a, it's a tool. Like it's a, it's one little extra step or something that they could use to maybe help them bust a case to get a girl back. Um, and listen, my goal with this whole event is I want to have a hundred thousand officers on it within the year. That's good. Adam, let me, uh, how, how big is uh, your audience of your podcast? The podcast yeah um uh i i wouldn't like downloads i get around i think it's around ten thousand a month so it's not not that big That's, um man you should see what we get i'm just kidding <laughs> the the um, tonight, we're gonna cut our audience in half <laughs> yeah the uh the the interesting thing is the the amount of countries so like it's been downloaded and i think it's like 80 countries now um, which is, which is really interesting because we had the same thing with the last summit we ran in July, the international law enforcement training summit. We had 10,000 officers from 76 countries. Wow. That's great. You know, just a, a little note about, um, human trafficking. I used to teach criminal justice after I retired at a college and a detective from Myrtle beach, um, South Carolina 
came, uh, is that south of North Carolina? It might be North Carolina. Anyway, he came to the college and he said he was trying to recruit students from the criminal justice program to go down to Myrtle Beach and go in their police department. But he had said one of their biggest problems down there was human trafficking. And I was a little shocked by that. I, who would expect, you know, Myrtle Beach, a big tourist area to have a huge uh, human trafficking problem? But they, they do. Yeah, well, that's where people go to the beach and that's where guys pick up girls and they give them yeah. a little drugs and they get them involved in the whole thing. But that's for another day. We are at almost an hour and a half and uh, we got to do our pitch right now for our Patreon. If you enjoyed this show, please do us a favor. Visit our Patreon. It's Police Off the Cuff at patreon.com. We have a couple of tiers there that uh, Bill is going to tell you about. We could use your support and make this uh, make sure. Uh... We have three tiers. One's for $7. That's called The Bucket. Because if you only pay $7 to see us, you deserve to be called The Bucket. The second one is Polish My Rack. And that's $9. And the, the, premier, the premier tier is called Dipped in Butter. And you know what we want you to dip in the butter. Anyway, that costs $11 a month. And for that, you get all kinds of programming that other people don't get. And uh, we have some, Mark does a show called One-on-One -on -One with Mark DeMeo, where he interviews uh, comics and cops and uh, interesting people one-on-one. -on -one. I do a show called Real Crime Stories. And I'm up to nine episodes, actually, of that, where I interview mostly NYPD detectives who have great cases that they want to talk about, homicides, kidnappings, all kinds of things like that. Or even, uh, I just had a guy, a crime scene sergeant that was talking about- Polucci. Ballistics, yeah, John Polucci. And really interesting stuff. So uh, if you want to join our Patreon, it's www.patreon.com slash OTC off the cuff pod one. And that's our Patreon. And we'd love to have you uh, as a customer. And and uh, where, 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 where could we find you, Adam? Yeah, well, we've kind of amalgamated everything under the ILET network. So it's very simple. It's I-L-E-T dot network. So ILET dot network. Um, we're going to have all of the events. So all of the events that we've talked about that we've had in the past that we're going to have. Um, we also have an app coming out. So you can actually access everything right on your phone uh, for law enforcement training. Um, and then the podcast will be up there as well. So it's all under one, all under one roof. Make it easy. You know, Adam, it seems like uh, you have a lot to talk about. And we, we almost didn't get to scratch the surface tonight. But uh, you're certainly welcome in the future to come back on our show and uh, to come visit us, even deliver us a moose or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Moose parts. Moose Who's parts via UPS, you know? I would I would ship you I would ship you meat across the border, but I'm pretty sure uh customs won't oh, like it's that illegal. Thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, listen, um, you know, if I ever come up to Manitoba or I'm going into Canada for a comedy gig, I'm gonna let you know. We'll yeah, ab absolutely, brother. You're more than welcome up here anytime. And if you come to New York, let me know. I'll show you around. It's, oh, I, COVID I, it's, it's in the game plan. Um once you once you guys sort out your situation down there, um, yeah. we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Just don't wear your Royal Canadian Mounted Police hat and the red uniform, you know. Serge, yeah, I was an RCMP. I wasn't an RCMP officer, so I don't have one. But they are they are very very nice uniforms. Is that yeah. like an elite unit, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police? They're they're the equivalent of the FBI. So oh. 
they're the federal policing arm. They also do a lot of rural and municipal policing, though. So that's a there. It's very complicated to explain what they do, but yeah. Okay. All right, brother. Thanks for coming on with us, man. Boys, it was an honor. Thank you for having me. Adam, it was great having you, buddy. Thanks, brother. Nice All to right. meet you. <laughs>